Well, good morning again. So we're starting a new sermon series. It's called Unlikely Heroes. It's a series that's going to look at some of our biblical heroes with an eye towards finding different aspects, perhaps, of ourselves that we might connect with um, to find ourselves in their stories because that's part, a big part of, for me anyway, when I read scripture, part of what I look for is, is connection and how do I connect and how does God connect with me and and I love that God often uses those who the world would not necessarily grab hold of and use. And we're going to talk about some of them. Um, but you know what? God uses those who are upper crust and, and who, have a, you know, who, are, who, who don't have a lot of stuff as well. And Daniel actually is more in line with that group. So I just love that God uses I guess all that to say it doesn't really matter where you come from. God will use you in amazing ways. So we're going to start with Daniel this week. And some of the stories of Daniel that is best known for, of course, is Daniel 6, as we just heard, where he survives the lion's den. In Daniel 2, he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream of this gold, this statue. And, and later, Belshazzar, who is Nebuchadnezzar's son, there was this hand that came up and wrote on the wall. And, and, and Daniel interpreted that for him and what that meant. Um, his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown into a fiery furnace and, and, uh, and Daniel uh, as well. So we'll talk about some of those. But the question and one of the things that I do want to look at is who is Daniel? Who is Daniel um, biblically? Who is he in, in the, you know, how is he looked at? And so the book of Daniel itself is known, it was what's known as an apocalypse. Um, it's an end times focus in a lot of ways. There's a lot of prophetic word in it. Uh, HarperCollins Study Bible defines apocalypse as this. It's a genre in which revelation is mediated in a narrative framework to a human participant through otherworldly beings and that discloses a heavenly world and a coming judgment. Got it? <laughs> Welcome to, uh, you know, uh, academic world language. What it's really saying is that, rev- that, that there is a revelation that's given in a, in, a, in a narrative form to a human from an otherworldly being, an angel or, or, or a spirit of some kind. And it discloses what's coming, you know, in times, eschatological, uh, in times kind of things. Apocalypses often use conventions such uh, as pseudonymity, which just means using a false name. Um, and employ a lot of different literary forms. So it's a lot, of, a lot of words, but really, Daniel is the only full-fledged example of an apocalypse in the Old Testament. And the revelation that John had in the book of Revelation is a New Testament example of an apocalypse as well. Academia, uh, the, and the secular world as well, suggests then that the book uses the name of Daniel because it's a respected name. There, in Ezekiel, there is, a, there is a reference to a person named Daniel, and so there's that. And then in the Ugarit, there is a, a Daniel that is mentioned. So, so the, the thought is that there is no Daniel per se, but we're going to use the name of Daniel because it has some weight. So, it's, so when people see this, they're going to go, okay, this is an important writing. Um, times itself, around 600 B.C. or B.C.E., that's um, before Christ or before Common Era, depending on which side of the aisle you're on, whether you're... Anyway, I don't want to get into that. But some in academia would place it closer forward because it has prophetic words in it, and it's like, that doesn't make sense 
to us that he would be able to make these prophecies. So they place it more in the Maccabean Revolt era, which is 167 B.C. or B.C.E. So as you can see, as with most Old Testament folks, most Old Testament characters, there is a different view when you look at academia and the secular world and the theological world in which we find ourselves this morning. So we shouldn't be surprised about that, that they question whether Daniel was an actual person. Um, the thought being that this, they wanted this book to carry some weight, so they chose the name of Daniel because the name of Daniel had weight. In doing the research for this, um, uh, did some reading and, and, and some other things, and I found that there's some archaeological information now that would push back against the dating of it earlier and would place it at the older date. Um, but still, you know, we could argue those things all morning, but it doesn't make for a very good sermon, so I don't want to do that. Uh, regardless of those questions, regardless of the debate, moving forward this morning, I'm going to move forward with the idea and the belief that Daniel is a person, that Daniel existed, <laughs> that he was, he was alive, that his era was, when they say it is in Scripture, that it is around 600 BC, BCE, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came in and, 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 you know, destroyed Israel and took them all off into captivity. So that is where we're starting this morning. So who is this Daniel? Daniel was a Jewish youth. He was uh, uh, in Jerusalem when he was taken into captivity, when Nebuchadnezzar came, uh, and, and, and he served that, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and his successors through the time of Cyrus. Um, a lot about him. He, was, uh, he remained true to God, the God of Israel, throughout his life, as you heard earlier. You're going to hear throughout the message this morning. And it was not uncommon for invaders to come and to take kind of the best and the brightest and to, and to take them off to re-indoctrinate them and to re-educate them in their own belief set. Daniel was one who was that he was the be, one of the best and the brightest. He was smart. He was gifted. So he was one that they would take, as well as his friends, Shanania, Mishael, and Azariah, which you don't recognize because those are their Israel name, is Israelite names. These, those men all received Babylonian names. Daniel was actually Belteshazzar, which is not. Belshazzar. Belshazzar is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Belteshazzar is Daniel. Uh, Shanania, Mishael, and Azariah, that is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they renamed them to try to re-indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture and Babylonian faith, only it didn't really work with these four folks because they believed in the God of Israel. And you can see, you know, there was a lot of pressure throughout Daniel's life, also for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, there was jealousy. There was a lot of intrigue in their lives. But what makes Daniel stand out really is that he stood firm. He, he was a man of faith in difficult circumstances, especially when the others were trying to make sure that he fell out of favor. So you heard it earlier, but I'm going to go through Daniel 6, and we're going to go through the, through the chapter itself. It says this in Daniel 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss, so they were to protect the king's stuff. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to make him the one over the whole kingdom. So Daniel was so gifted that he was being elevated into the role of the main guy. And here he, and he's an 
ex, you know, he's brought in from this other place, and so they're not super happy about that. So the, the, the administrators, and I don't know what a satrap is, but that's what it says here. So, and the satraps tried uh, to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his work, in his conduct of government affairs, but they couldn't do so because it, it says, the, the men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So then they went to the king, and as Corey mentioned, they played on him. You know, they played up to him. It's like, may King Darius live forever, right? King, you're awesome. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, it's quite a group, have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And so King Darius says, no, I think that's a good idea, and, says, and, and he puts the decree in writing. Now, Daniel learned about the decree. It was not unknown to him. He learned that it had been published. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. He didn't change anything. He continued to do the same thing he had done. Then these men went as a group, and they found him praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The rope, the noose is going to come tight. The king says, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said, well, Daniel, who is the one among the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty. He didn't pay any attention to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. And he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. He didn't want to do what he was going to be required to do, but they had trapped him. The law could not be repealed because it was in writing. Then the men went as a group and they pulled it tight. Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues cannot be changed. So the king gave an order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. And a stone was brought. It was placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the ring of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And then the king returned to his palace, and he spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up. He hurried to the lion's den. And when he came to the lion's den, when he came near to it, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him. Verse 
Where, did I, where was I? I looked in here somewhere. <laughs> because he had trusted in God. So no, no wounds on him. And at the king's command, here's the other thing about the other guys. The men who had falsely accused Daniel, they were brought in and thrown into the lion's den. And this was a brutal time, guys, because it, it they were thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders among the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the signs and wonders in the heavens. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered greatly during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The story of Daniel in the lion's den teaches us about the promises and faithfulness of God, even if we feel like everything has been lost. Because Daniel didn't know if he was going to make it. He didn't know what was going to happen. He was just being faithful to God. He was just following through in his faith. And it made me wonder has the, and want to ask this question. Has there been a time in your life? Has there been a moment? Has there been different times when you've had to stand up for your faith? Even in the midst of persecution. Even in the midst of being made fun of. Even in the face of ridicule. People make it, pe people not responding in a good way. You know, and when I was back at, before I, I got into recovery, I was constantly trying to get better. And so, and I knew that the church, you know, my joke is I was raised Catholic and then Baptist and Pentecostal and my, and I checked out all kinds of Episcopal. I went to all kinds of different churches because I knew God was a part of my solution. So my joke is that I'm a Catholic Baptist Pentecostalist. Because I went to all kinds of different places looking for a solution. I knew that God was a part of that. So uh, what would happen is that I would, you know, I'd be doing okay in, in, in church, and then I'd relapse, and so I'd figure, well, I'm going to try a different church. And so I bounced around a lot. But also as part of that, I, was, um, I would go door to door sometimes with, and, and witnessing, sharing faith. And there, was, well, there were times because it was random at that church that I was going to at that point. It was a rant. You know, I didn't know where we were going. I was part of a team that would go. And I would end up, and I remember this one time especially, I ended up going to a house I had been at the week before getting high. And then I had gotten, you know, I'd repented and, and gone back and, and tried to get things back. And I was witnessing to people that I had partied with the week before. And they just laughed at me. You know, and they had every right to laugh, you know, because what kind of witness was that? And I'd like to say, but ever since then, I've been, but that's not true. You know, I have had ups and downs in my faith journey. And I think each of us, when we stand up and we, you know, we, we go forward because we are not perfect and we make mistakes. When we go forward in our faith, we're going to face potentially some folks who don't agree with us, you know had conversations with atheists that got pretty circular, but, but those kind of conversations where, where they make fun of my God, you know. But it's important for us to stand for our faith, and I love that Daniel did that. But it's not about necessarily the deliverance from the event, 
Oswald Chambers said this. He said, faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not. I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. If you find yourself in a fiery furnace, it's okay. You're not alone in that place. God is indeed with you. And that reminds me, that moves me into another story of Daniel. The one of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their fiery furnace experience. See, they chose the path of obeying God at all costs. At all costs. And I'm not going to, this is out of Daniel chapter 3, and I'm not going to read the scripture. I'm going to paraphrase. But so this, what was going on was King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden image. And he wanted, he said, everybody's kind of a similar theme here. These guys like to be worshipped. So, so they had this golden image, and everyone was required that they had to bow down and worship it at whenever this music played, at the sound of the music. So the three Jews who refused to bow down were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They just wouldn't do it. So, of course, the guys got told on, hey, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And Nebuchadnezzar got upset. He was furious, and he gave orders to the three, bring them here. Bring them here. We'll fix this, right? Because I'm the king. And he asked them if it was true that they refused to bow down and worship his, that image. And they, the king told the three men that they risked being thrown into the fiery furnace if they didn't do it. And the men simply answered, yes, it's true. We refuse to bow down and worship the image. They didn't try to make any excuses. They didn't try to reason with him. They didn't try to say, well, it's, you know, we believe this, so we really don't want. They said, no, we're not going to do that because that's, that's, you know, that's not our faith. They just flatly refused, even in the face of the king saying, well, there's a furnace awaiting you. This is what they said. They said, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Powerful, right? It's like, yes. But listen to this, because this is, this is important for, I think, us. It's certainly important for me. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Yes, our God can deliver us. We believe that he will. Even if he doesn't, we are going to hang on to our faith, regardless of what you do. And King Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> he, he, he got mad. <laughs> Super duper mad. He got upset, mad, outraged is the word, right? And, and so... He took them and, and told them that he commanded that they be thrown into the fiery furnace. He ordered the furnace to be heated up to seven times its normal rate as an expression of how angry he was with them. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bound and thrown into the furnace, and it was so hot that as the soldiers got close to throw them in, they were annihilated. There was no way to escape. And King Nebuchadnezzar had to have been present because he said this. He said, didn't we cast three men bound into the fire? They answered, true, O king. And then he answered, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. The king apparently recognized that the fourth person in the fire was a divine being, was a heavenly being. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the furnace, their clothes weren't harmed, not a hair of their heads was singed. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. 
It's pretty amazing. He was so impressed that he gave, he commanded everyone in the entire Babylonian empire to give homage to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and not speak an ill word against them or, or be put to death. said this. He said, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. God was with Daniel in the lion's den. God was with the three men in the furnace. He went through it with them. And that's kind of where I want to land this thought this morning. When we go, go into stuff and when life happens, God is not a distant observer. He goes through with us, through whatever life's ordeals and life's trials send to us. God will never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, which is a throwback to Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. See, God not only knows about our suffering, not only knows about the trials that we go through, he's with us through them. He goes in them. He goes through them with us, whatever they might be. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble, right? Our, our refuge and our strength. Sometimes, sometimes if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to do things that don't make sense to the world. We're going to have to step out in faith. We're going to have to stand firm regardless of what someone else may think or regardless of what someone else may say. We may be challenged about that. Why do you believe that? I don't believe any of what you're telling me. But that's really not the point. We stand firm in the face of whatever it is that we're going through. And believers face stuff. I mean, we don't face the kind of persecution in the U.S. that they do in the Middle East and other places. There are still those who are being, whose lives are threatened and at risk because of their faith. We don't face that. But we face persecution of some kind, or we should be, if we're standing up and, 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 and boldly proclaiming what we believe. Amen? Daniel teaches us that standing firm in our faith, is, well, it's not, not easy, right? Face, he, he faced death. It's worth it in the end. Regardless of how it would have turned out, he, he's, you know, that's nevertheless, it's that nevertheless I did. Nevertheless will I believe. Nevertheless will I follow. Nevertheless am I going to follow my God. Nevertheless am I going to believe what he has told me, and I'm going to keep going. God will be faithful. He's going to be present in with us throughout whatever we go through in life. And when we talk about being a witness, right, we've been talking about what this is, sharing what we have seen, heard, and experienced of God. That's what being a witness is. God in your life, Share that. You don't have to be a theological expert. All you got to do is share what you've seen, heard, and experienced of God. That's what witnesses do. And, and if we're going to talk about that, then we know that some aren't going to appreciate it. And that's okay. And it's not about hitting people over the head. Share your story. God's Holy Spirit is the mover of the heart. Our role is simply to be a witness. Share what you have seen, heard, and experienced of God. The Holy Spirit moves the heart. Daniel, there's a lot in Daniel. There's prophetic words, and there, uh, he was an interpreter of dreams. And despite being in exile, he worked with his captors while standing firm in his own belief. And that's what it means to me to be in the world, not of the world. Daniel was in the world. Here's the world, right? 
Here's the church. We're in the world. We're supposed to be in the world. The church is not supposed to be outside of the world. We're supposed to be in the world. But often what happens in the church is this. We're not just in the, the, in the world. We're in the church. So now we're, not, we're in the church and of the church, and we've lost, lost contact with the world that's around us and the, where we're supposed to be. Jesus was here. Jesus was at the margins, at the borders. Everywhere where the church and the world come into Come into, into touch, where they touch, that's where we're supposed to be. Now, we need to be strong. We need the support, so we need to be, need to be connected to the, to, to the church, to the body of, of Christ. But we also need to be in the world sharing that with others and sharing that with those who don't know Jesus or don't, haven't seen, heard, or experienced what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because, man, when God starts doing those things, when he starts moving in, your heart, moving in your life and you can't help it, right, you're compelled to share because we are Christ's ambassadors. We are, we are Christ's witness to the world. We're supposed to be involved in, and sharing who we are with them or they're never going to know. And, and if it's just a thought of this Jesus that we've heard about and they haven't heard who he really is in our hearts and our lives, why would you expect, accept him? Why would you change? Because that's not compelling. What's compelling is when we, they, they hear what he's done in our heart and what the, he's done in our lives. You know, it was brought to my attention that this whole thought of prayers, prayer, presence, gifts, service, and witness. In the book of Daniel, that's what he did. He was a prayer. You know, three times a day, open window to Jerusalem. He was, he was present for God. God was present in him. He used the gifts that he had. He was gifted with a prophetic word. He was gifted as an interpreter of dreams. He used the gifts that he had, and he didn't use them in the church. Where did he use them? In the world with his captors who didn't believe what he believed. Yes, use your gifts in, in the church, but I'm telling you, use your gifts. Let God use you. And he served. He served foreign kings. And what happened? God gave him a witness. Both of those stories, I don't know if, if, if you caught that. Two different kings. Both of them finished the same way. You will respect and, and the God of Israel, you know, we're gonna, he, he now is, is up here. He can now be worshipped. At first, it was like, no, you've got to worship me, the king. At the end of the day, the king became subservient to the God of Israel because of Daniel's witness, because of what he had seen, heard, experienced, and shared. Man. What if we did that? 